You guys ready for the word today? Uh, One word, go. Say go. That sounds so intense, doesn't it? It sounds so intense. Say it again, go. It's, it's like, it's what you say at the beginning, you know, before somebody races, one, two, three, go, you know. It's, uh, I, I want us to look at it in a unique perspective today as we consider the great commission of the Lord Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. So baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I, um, I want to talk to you this morning out of the Gospel of Luke from just this really familiar passage of Scripture. Yeah, hang right there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, how many know this teaching already? How many have heard the teaching of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan. Seems like it's the teaching of the Good Samaritan. Really, uh, we don't know that there was actually a Samaritan. We believe that there are some Good Samaritans. Can I get amen? I was uh, reading a book the other day with my granddaughter, and in it, it had the term Good Samaritan. It wasn't even a Christian book. It said there was a Good Samaritan. It's like everybody seems to know what that is. We kind of hope that one will show up if we blow a tire or something. I don't believe that story is about that at all. I, I believe it's missed. I believe, uh, I, I believe that there are messages that we just, we, we define certain biblical stories and we, we assign certain messages to them. And I believe the Holy Spirit would like to take us not just deeper, but into a, a better reality. So I want us to take a look at this. Uh, here we go. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He's a lawyer, okay? Uh, he is a lawyer in that he, he knows all the law of Israel. He knows the, mo, the law of Moses. He knows the, 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 the ceremonial law. He knows the civil law. He lo- knows the moral law. He knows all of that. He's an expert. He's read up on it. Anybody know those folks who just seem to know, really smart people? This is a smart dude, okay? And the Bible says that the, the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice it says he stood up to test him. This is a common thing that there would be debates. Jesus is a teacher. He sits and teaches people. So to entertain a question like this, this is not abnormal. But he stood up to test him, to uh, ask him a question that he can't answer, to test him. I'm going to stump you, Jesus. Uh, Don't make me preach too fast here today, all right? Uh, uh, Just so you know, you do not have Jesus stumped. Say, Lord, you don't know what's going on. No, he knows exactly what's going on in your life. Okay, come back. Let's read the scripture. So to test Jesus, he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. 
But he has a problem. He has a problem. He reads this. There's a problem here. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Any Mr. Rogers fans in the house? Anybody have a sweater? You know, a pair of sneakers? Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, I just started telling him a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. He was dying. He was bleeding to death. He was dying from the beating. A priest, praise God, a priest happened to go down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. A priest and a Levite. So you understand that we're talking about individuals who are in leadership in, in, in Israel. They are, they are a priest and a Levite. That's the first order and the second order. Okay, so the priest and the Levite. And so they both passed by. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Praise God. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Question to the lawyer. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Have you ever read a story in the Bible that was supposed to be really simple and then you realized it was a little... Deeper than you thought. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever read the scripture and tried your hardest just to make metaphors out of it? You know, this is a metaphor for something that I don't understand. You know, sometimes when you read the word of God, you need to understand this. Take it all as practically as you possibly can. Amen. Can I get a yes from somebody? Amen. As practically as you can. Just understand it. You know, know the context of it, but, but, but receive it. I think... Uh, I think this particular teaching is tough because it's been read and spoken of so many times. And so we just say, oh, there's a good Samaritan. There's a good Samaritan. No, no, that's not what it's, it's that's, that's not the message. That's not the message. I'm glad that people can say that. But uh, I, when, when I looked at this, uh, it reminded me of uh, two of my favorite movie characters in all of history, Vincini and Inigo Montoya. If you know who I'm talking about, just wave your hand right now, okay? There we got. What's that? You killed my father, prepared to die. Yes. And Neil Atoya, before he was running around with Wesley, also known as the Dread Pirate Roberts, in the movie The Princess Bride, if you have not seen it, before that took place, he worked with Vincini, who was like this mobster guy who had uh, kidnapped... 
who was going to be uh, Wesley's bride. And so Wesley is chasing them down, and they keep trying to do all kinds of things to stop him. One event after another takes place, and, and it seems like he is, you know, he, there's no way that uh, he can uh, be stopped. He overcomes obstacle after obstacle, and every time he overcomes an obstacle, Vincini looks at him and goes, Inconceivable! Go ahead and say it if you would. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. And Inigo looks at him, okay. And uh, finally, there's this situation where he's coming up a cliff and he's done everything that he can to stop him. And Wesley keeps climbing up the cliff. And uh, Vincini looks over the cliff and sees him and he says, Inconceivable. And Inigo says, You'll know that word. You keep using it. I don't think it means what you think it means. Right? And uh, you know that story, Good Samaritan. I don't think it means what you think it means. And you know, sometimes we read the Word of God and we just kind of hope it means something that doesn't touch us. I, I don't think this parable means what we often think it means. I think it's much more uh, transformational then we realize. And sometimes we don't want transformation. We just want information, right? I mean, just let me read it. I, I read the Bible today. Praise God. Did you get transformed by the word of God? I, I was in worship today. That was good. Was there any transformation that took place? Am I the same person that I was before? The scripture has so much meat in it and, and grit than we realize. It's a scripture that's based on transformation. And if we Embrace it correctly, it could change our lives. It's, it's not necessarily about the fictional characters in the parable. The story is about a lawyer. The story is about a man who is questioning Jesus. Uh, and, and the question that he has is our question as well. I mean, uh, the big question that we see in the outset of this is what do I do to have eternal life? Somebody just say that. What can I do to have eternal life? So let, let me help you with this opening question simply because we see what this man tried to do with Jesus after Jesus said, what does the law say? The Bible says he tried to justify himself. So let me begin with this first reality. Stop trying to justify yourself. Come on. Look over at your neighbor and say, stop trying to justify yourself. You need to say it to each other, all right? Stop trying to justify yourself. So we have this religious leader. He's a leader of Israel, probably the, the most, uh, the, the best example we could give, a politician, probably that. Just, you know, I know everything, I know what everybody needs, and, and I'm the guy that can answer all of your questions. And he stands in front of Jesus, and first he says this, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus knew what was going on, so he sets him up for the moment of revelation, and he looks at him and he says, okay, what is written in the law? 
And, and how do you read it? Because how many know the way, what, what is written in the law and how we read it is often two different things. Anybody know that? What is written in the Bible and how we read it, we kind of read it through our own special lenses so nothing gets changed in my life. Hey, give me amens today. So he, cro- he quotes from what we know as the great Shama, the Deuteronomy 6 and 5, the, the mezuzahs on your doorpost. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, if, uh, if you've got some good Jewish friends, you might have like that, that, that little thing that hangs on your door and that in it contains words. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You know, that's the only one you should worship. Amen? And he goes on to Deuteronomy 6 and 5, and, and in that is this statement uh, that, that is there, and that is love. Somebody say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Say it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then, and, and then is this statement. It's in Leviticus 19. It's, uh, it is, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we kind of have some feeling about that, right? It's like, don't bear grudges. Forgive. Love your neighbor as yourself, and I'm, you know, I'm reading this, and I think this is really critical because, really, does anybody love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, do you do that? I mean, did you, when you went to the store the other day, did you buy some clothes for you and for your neighbor? Did you do that? I mean, are, are you working for yourself and? For your neighbor? I mean, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength? Or is there some areas in your heart, in your soul, in your mind? How many have ever had some thoughts that were not Jesus' thoughts? Anybody ever done that? Or is there a part of you in your flesh that is not surrendered to the Lord Jesus? Anybody hearing what I'm talking about right now? And so this this guy has a crisis, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, he things, I'm keeping the law, so I probably got that first part down, because in keeping the law, I love the Lord God with all my heart, and then, but this neighbor thing has really got me all messed up. How can I love my neighbor as myself? And so he asked this question. Uh, he says, so who is my neighbor? But he asked the question because he wanted to justify himself, because he knows this. Sin does not get to go to heaven. Can I get an amen? I know somebody just said, well, that disqualified me. No, no, stay with me. He's saying, I got all my laws right, but what about this neighbor thing? So he knows this. So since I've got to love my neighbor as myself, I need to find out who that person is so I can go love them, right? So he asked this question in order to justify himself, in order to look innocent, in order to show himself sinless. He asked the question, so who is my neighbor? It's, it, it also interests me the context, the placement of this statement in Luke chapter 10, 25. I mean, Luke is brilliant in the way that he writes this under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this incredible comprehensive gospel. Have you read the entire gospel of Luke? It is spectacular and powerful. I don't know if you remember some years back, I preached through the entire gospel of Luke. I just love, I mean, you can see him. He went and interviewed Mary probably before he ever wrote that story. He knew everybody and where they were and what happened. He all the details. But just before we get to this statement, we can go back and we can see 
that Jesus had sent out 72 individuals and he had given them authority in his name to go into every city and to share the wonderful gospel, to heal the sick, uh, to preach the good news. And so they're doing this and they come back and they are just stoked because they come back. 72, I didn't say 12, I said 72. They go into every city. They go into cities that you don't want to go to. I mean, some cities that really had some incredible mess going on in those cities. And they went, and the Bible says when they got back, they said, Jesus, you would not believe what happened. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Yes. And you can see 72, imagine 72 people all trying to talk to Jesus and tell the story. There's one woman and she was like this and we prayed for her and she was like, ah, and she was gone and everything was just amazing. And the people that were healed and the people that were running around and shouting and accepting the good news, the Messiah has come. I mean, it's just a glorious thing. But the big deal for them is, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus just cracked up. How many believe Jesus laughs? Anybody believe Jesus laughs? Anybody but me? I mean, some of us think Jesus only sits quietly and stares at you. Mm. Jesus laughs. The Bible says in Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus replied to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So you saw demons run. I saw... Like the head of all of those demons, I saw him booted out of heaven. Boom. I saw that. I was there. I was a part of all that. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not, read this with me, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Wow. See the balance? Anybody see that? Don't get so caught up in life that you forget the most important thing. Yes, you're moving in my authority. Yes, you have spiritual gifts. Yes, gifts. Yes, you've seen healings. But what is more important than anything is that your names have been written down in the book. Anybody glad your name is written down in the book? Can I get a hallelujah in the house? So you have to understand what that means. In Hebrews chapter 12, there is a description of what that means, where I end up. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church, that's us, to the church of the firstborns, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That's us. The spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the, and, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's so powerful. Do you see where you are? My name is written where? In the book. Anybody glad your name is written in the book? Anybody? Or do you know that your name is written in the book? Are you, are you certain or uncertain of that? My name, hallelujah, has been written down in the book. I mean, when it's all said and done, whether I end up eternally with God is not about how many demons I cast out. It's about whether or not my name is written down in the book. Revelation 3 and 5, he who overcomes 
will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. That's why we end up there. So how many of you want to know that your name is written down in the book? Anybody want to know? How many want to know? Anybody with me? You want to know? How many want to know? Because I'm going to let you know. How many want to know that your name is written down? Okay, you see, you can't write your, name, your own name down. Somebody thought I was going to pull out the book. You don't get to write your name, own name down. The book belongs to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. So whose book is it? Not your book. It, the book belongs to who? Okay, now John the Baptist teaches us about this. When he saw Jesus the first time in John 1, 29, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world? The Lamb of God. And who is the Lamb of God? Jesus. So the book of life belongs to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 4, he was delivered over to death for our sins. Now look at this next scripture. And raised to life for our justification. So how am I going to justify myself? I can't. Jesus is the one that justifies me. Romans 5 and 1, Paul says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand in and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That means one day I'm going to see him. Anybody with me? One day I'm going to see Jesus, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to keep reading scripture until you stand up and dance. I am. 1 Peter 1.18, for you know not that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. I know the empty way of life handed down. You are not saved by the law, Mr. Lawyer. You are saved by the precious blood of Jesus. You don't have enough money to buy your way into heaven. You are saved only by the blood of Jesus with the precious blood of of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God. What? I believe in him because he gave me the ability to believe in him. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is a revelation that causes Jesus to crack up. I just read this to you. You're looking at me all, don't look at me so religious right now. I can't bear it today, okay? Just, just look at me. Somebody make a weird face. Would you like, you know, one of these, just something. Jesus hears the disciples say this. Even the demons are subject to us through your name. And Jesus said, guys, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to your name, but rejoice that your name has been written down in the book. And then in verse 21 of Luke 10, Jesus went on and said, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Say, joy through the Holy Spirit. Say, joy through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, how many believe Jesus laughed right there? Anybody? What? What? 
You realize the power of God in your lives, and through me, your names are going to be written down in the book. You don't even know what's going on. And the Holy Spirit just erupts inside of him, and he cracks up, and he says, I'm Praise you, Father. Praise you, Lord of heaven, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and, re- and, and revealed them to little children. This is what we're doing just before we get to the religious guy, okay? Just before we get to Mr. Lawyer, Jesus is just cracking up and saying, I'm so glad that you don't have to have, I'm not busting on your education. I'm just saying it doesn't matter who you are. If you will put your faith in Jesus, your names can be written down in the book. Praise Jesus. Relax, Pastor. Okay. Um. So there's nothing as great. You agree? How many believe there's nothing as great as knowing that your name has been written down in the book? And that's, here's the context. This guy says, what do I need to have eternal life? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to have eternal life? And he says, what does the law do? So uh, what he's realizing now is the law can't get me saved. Anybody agree? I'm not saved by the law. So this is a discussion from the Old Testament all the way through Revelations regarding God's eternal plan that you can be saved and no one can take you out of his hand. Now, the rest of the story gets really messy, okay? How many know messy? How many know messy? Anybody know messy? Wave at me. Anybody got kids in your house? Wave at me. Got kids in your house? How many know it gets real messy? Anybody know that? No, 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 no. I mean, I didn't know that, okay? Debbie and Steve sitting back there in the back. We all share the same granddaughter. That girl can mess up a house. I'm telling you, she can. Am I right? I mean, she can. She can. Hey, you got a two-year-old? Anybody got a two-year-old? Let's pray for all the people that have two-year-olds right now, okay? Life can get messy. I think sometimes the father looks at us and said, look at all them two-year-olds. How many know we get really messy? And here's, here's my issue. Here's my stuff, okay? I don't like messy. I like things in order. I mean, I walk around the whole building every Sunday morning just to make sure things are in order. Pick up trash, you know, say, who dropped this trash in the parking lot? Picking up that trash. You might say, well, that's excellence. And I'm all good with excellence. But sometimes we need to realize that God works in the messy. I don't know that you understand what I'm saying. He works in the messy. I watched you all come in today. I watched people come into this building all day. Everybody doesn't come in with the same look or the same story. I mean, they come in messy, just like your neighborhood is. Anybody live in a neighborhood? Come on. Anybody live in a neighborhood? Look at this, which is my second reality. We cannot help the neighborhood in our own power. You can't do it. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus... Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus told the story that we know of as the Good Samaritan. But it's not about just the Good Samaritan. There is a Good Samaritan, but there's also a priest, and there's a Levite. There's a bunch of robbers. I mean, this is a busy cast. And there's a Jewish man who's walking down the road who gets beaten up by a group of guys. And, and so you know the rest of the story. You know the story about how everybody left. The Samaritan saw his need and picked him up and had pity on him and bandaged his wounds and, and poured oil and wine upon him, getting the infection out and put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn, took care of him. And, and then he actually let them swipe his credit card in case there were any additional charges. That was what the two pieces of silver were, okay? Two, two pieces of silver. And, uh, 
And then Jesus says, okay, who is the one that's a neighbor? So everything kind of gets flipped on its side. I asked who my neighbor was, and Jesus said, no, who was being a neighbor, which suggests this, we're all neighbors. Look at somebody and say, hello, neighbor. Come on, say hello, neighbor. I love doing service projects. It's good, but we need to do more. Somebody say, welcome to the neighborhood. Welcome to the neighborhood. One of the, one of the that I hear, welcome to the hood. Welcome to the hood. And they show, welcome to the hood. Welcome to the neighborhood. Welcome to the hood. Anyway, so. Everybody feel the tension? Everybody feel Just me talking like that just brings tension. Oh, Pastor, be careful. Don't go there. How many knows what's in the neighborhood? Anybody knows what's in the neighborhood? How many know there's sinners in the neighborhood? Anybody know that? How many know there's brokenness in the neighborhood? Anybody found that out? There, there's how many? Listen, I, when I moved out of this beautiful little community, I would have never dreamed that there were people who did drugs in my community. But they were. I wouldn't have dreamed there were people who did drugs who came to my church. But there are. Hey, you're not paying attention. I mean, you say, well, yeah, that's why I moved into my neighborhood. Let me tell you. That mess that you moved out of is in your neighborhood. That's what I learned. I remember when I learned that. I was working with some, some folks who were struggling with addictions and, and all of that. Found out that they don't care how rich you are or how expensive your house is. There is rehabilitation for every economic group. Amen. Ain't nobody saying amen, are they? So, so uh, anybody got strange neighbors? Anybody live in a weird homeowners association? Anybody got that going on? You know, let me tell you, here's, here's the deal. You're a part of a neighborhood. Someone once said, you're either a part of the problem or you're a part of the solution. Which people might say, yeah, my neighborhood would be just fine if it wasn't for that family that moved in across the street. Those kids hanging out in the corner, that lady and her messed up children at the end of the cul-de-sac, that n- nosy, noisy pot-smoking people in the apartment downstairs. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on. You know, you thought it was a skunk, but it wasn't a skunk. You ain't lived till you smelled that coming over your fence in your nice neighborhood. Say, people don't do that where I live. Go ahead and live in La La Land. I'm not sure. I keep finding people who think they're part of the solution who are the problem. And I find people that are considered the problem that are part of the solution. When I say neighborhood, I'm not just talking about the house or the condo or the apartment you live in. I'm talking about the school. I'm talking about the kids. I'm talking about the restaurants, uh, the, uh, the stores. I'm talking about it all. You, you know what I find out? It, the problem is simply this. There are broken, busted up, bleeding people everywhere, and they look just like you. They look like me. You may be dressed up and still need a hand up. You may, you may look all blessed on Sunday, but your neighbors know what's going on on Monday. And just because it's not too loud don't mean that everything is sound, that everything is right. There are people that are messed up. We just like to pull in and out of our garages and pretend like everything is perfect. 
So who is my neighbor? When I say your neighborhood, I'm not just talking about the house or the condo. I'm saying people are struggling. I think the statistics tell us what's going on. Because we know, come on, notice, when I drive out of my neighborhood, I notice it seems like I'm one or two of the whole neighborhood. Ain't nobody else showing up church on a Sunday morning. I mean, there are people that say they believe but don't believe it. And they don't believe that your God has the power to set them free. All right? So, according to the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus places a responsibility for his, for his people to impact the brokenness of their own communities. This is a nice parable of what you're supposed to do. It's a parable. It's really a parable of the awesome love of God. I, I see redemption here. Performed by the most unlikely character. Like uh, the Samaritan. Like who are the people that you know that are the most messed up? The people that are the most unlikely candidates to do something good. The individual that if they show up in the movie as the hero, you're going to say, no way. That's the good Samaritan. That's who the Samaritan was. He was considered the worst. He was Jewish, but he wasn't Jewish. Come on. Didn't know what he was exactly and found out he had intermarried and found their own place to worship rather than going to the temple in Jerusalem. Hello, hello. I see him really, if I look carefully at him, I look at him as kind of a Christ character. Jesus, both God and man. Hello. And really, the, do you know that the religious leaders of the day despised Jesus? Did you know that? They were looking for a way to kill him. And one of the reasons is because Jesus kept messing up their order of things. You know, everybody's supposed to come into the temple and stand at the right place and do the right thing. We got the leaders of the law that tell you when you're supposed to do this or that. Especially that one out of Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 which says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Jesus loved messing with the Sabbath day. Loved it. He would do miracles just to mess people up. John chapter 5 verse 21. Jesus goes to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. There are sick people all around it. And there is a man that has laid there, the Bible says, for 38 years. And the reason he's laid there is because on occasion, the water that is laying there that is still, it's a pool, gets troubled. It's like the water begins to have a current. It looks like a hot tub. And everybody knows that an angel of the Lord is coming at that particular time and stirred up the water, and whoever gets in the water gets healed. But this man is lame, and he's laying there by himself, and he has no friends. Nobody will help him into the water. And that's the story that he says, nobody will help him. And Jesus says, okay, it was on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. Next phrase. And that day was the Sabbath. 
You can almost hear the music change. It was the Sabbath. So now we got a man who was sick and broken, who could not walk, carrying his bed under his arm, walking for the first time. And then we see the Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. What? And he just transferred it to Jesus. He's just a baby in this thing. He just transferred it. He said, hey, don't blame me. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. I'm just doing what he told me. I'm just doing what he told me. Because he knew that if he, jumped, if he, if he came against them, that they could hurt him. They could put him back on that mat on the side. They knew that. So, hey, 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 I'm just doing what he said. So he said, that teacher over there, that guy, Jesus, he's the one who said it. He answered him, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus did it on purpose. Really? Take up your bed and walk? We would have said, look, look, we want you to get better, but people really have a struggle with the Sabbath around here. So I want you to get, I want you to walk. I want you to stand up, but leave your bed, just leave your bed lying there and only walk about 20 paces and then sit down so we won't disturb anybody. But Jesus, knowing all of their ritual, knowing what they had done with the law, said to them, no, I want you to rise and I want you to take up your bed and I want you to walk because he's trying to pierce the heart of the issue what is God after bad religion tells us don't sin be good that's what's important but if we could do it on our own there would have been no reason for Jesus to go to the cross Jesus saves us when we put our faith in him but he does more than that he changes us by putting his spirit on the inside of us. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying right now. I, I want you to get this. Jesus is doing some stuff here because, come on, think about it. Think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you, are you able to do that in your own strength? Anybody? Anybody able to do that? My flesh, anybody got flesh? Come on, wave at me, you got flesh. And you're constantly trying to crucify it. Hey, stop that. How many have had to deal with unforgiveness? Anybody ever had, anybody got angry at somebody that you should have released? Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? And then loving my neighbor, which neighbor? Because there are some people I don't want to have anything to do with it. Jesus is dealing with us. And he's saying, I have power over your flesh. I have power over your sin. And I'm going to set you free. But ultimately he's saying, I'm going to do something that the law can't do. Let's see if the law can get you to stand up. Hello. Jesus saves us. Keep watching this. He sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. Anybody thankful for that? To change us. Uh, help me, Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it irritating? I, I, one preacher preached this years ago. It's just kind of weird. I never preached it, but I thought it was fun. Wouldn't it be cool if you had an eyeball on your finger? If you had an eyeball on your finger. I mean, you wanted to see if something was on the bottom of your foot, you'd just go. That'd be great. You know how you'd walk? You'd walk two eyes out and one eyeball just like this. You'd look at people on occasion. But mostly, 
make sure you look good. You know, I mean, the Lord could have put, how many know he could put an eyeball on the finger if he wanted to? Anybody know that? But he saw fit to put them right on our face so we wouldn't be staring at ourselves all the time. And because they're on my face, the only thing I can really look at is what's going on on the inside of me. It causes me, come on. You see, I, I want to always make sure that nobody else can see my blemishes. That's why when I take selfies, I don't use filters. Right? Because when I put it out there, you say, people only know the person that I put on my Instagram story. No, they don't. They get to see you every day. You hear where I'm going? See, perhaps God's plan is that because our flesh is not nearly as important as our spirit, he put eyeballs in the front of our head. See, I don't want to see us. I don't want to see us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Loving God. I, I, what I need in my life is no matter how messy things get, no matter how messy my neighborhood is, no matter how messy my world is, I want to live by the power of God's Spirit. You see, we cannot restore people without being restored ourselves. You think, if I can just be holy and get my ticket into heaven, I'll be good. And God doesn't just want to make you holy. He also wants to make you whole. We can't restore people without being restored. Because you can't help me if you can't help you. This parable requires this expert of the law to deal with something that many of us deal with. Honestly, I love this guy. Anybody love this lawyer? I love this lawyer. I am so glad he asked this question because even though I believe in Jesus and have accepted the cross of Jesus as my salvation, I also recognize that it is God's plan to change my life. Jesus didn't just die for me to live eternally. He died for me to be whole. And I grew up. Anybody grow up in religion besides me? I grew up. And I'm not busting on it. I mean, we're religious community, but I want us to be spiritual. Listen, I grew up confused. It was a strange religious world. I had a religious background, and there were so many things that were sin. And I wish mom and dad could have just given me a list so I could have looked at it, and I could have thought, now I'm ready to punch my buddy in the face right now, and can I look through the list and say, not on the list. Boom! And then went to heaven anyway. That's not how I lived. I went thinking I had a list, not being sure about the list, and then constantly failing. Come on, anybody in the house? Uh, and for me, it was strange. You know, of, of, uh, I needed a list. I needed those things that I could do and those things that I couldn't do. And I was wounded. I had hurts and abuse that I needed to deal with. And sometimes I felt like I deserved any bad thing that happened to me. And then I read Hebrews 12 and 14, which was the headline. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. See? Holiness. If you don't get holy, you're not going to see God. And you failed and you failed and you failed and you failed. And what will wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is something. Somebody thank God for holiness. Anybody? Anybody want to live a holy life? 
Somebody say, I can't do it without Jesus. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Why am I such a failure? I need Holy Spirit in my life. For most of my young life, I thought of holiness as something rather severe. Simply giving up worldly pleasures, living an entirely spiritual life, praying a lot, being a very good person, something that only very old saints can attain to. You know when you're 90, you're holy. Anybody know that? In fact, do a little exercise for me right now. When I say holiness, what do you think of? Um, give you some words. Boring. Denial. Discipline. Unattainable separation. Difficulty. Listen, you know why those are your words? Because we're trying to attain it in our own power. Somebody say, welcome Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus died for you and then he sent his spirit to dwell inside of you, he, he also, this is the prophetic word from Ezekiel 36. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the spirit of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Stop doing it all under your, old, uh, under your own strength. You need a new heart. You need the spirit of God. Anybody like me? Anybody ever had a heart wound? Wave at me. Anybody had a heart wound? He is a heart healer. Listen, listen to the story of the work of the Holy Spirit in Luke 4 and 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Listen, I can get healed. I can get holy. I can get whole. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, but that was Jesus. He's gone. Jesus said in John 16. He said, I tell you the truth. It is, not for, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In John 14, Jesus had already said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide for, with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 26 when I, the Spirit also helps me in our weaknesses. For when I do not know what I should pray, as I ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know how to do anything, but the Holy Spirit comes inside of me. I don't know how to go to heaven, but Holy Spirit shows me how to go to heaven. I don't know how to overcome sin, but God gives me a new heart and a new spirit and now I can follow him praise God this hurts this is messy as Luke 10 and 36 reminds us of this last reality that I want you to have we are ministers of the mercy of God we are ministers of mercy say it we're ministers of mercy somebody shout mercy Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law had no choice but respond this way. The one who had mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. 
It's a, it's a difficult neighborhood. Did you know that? It's really a tough neighborhood here. A uh, couple of moments happened in my life. One was, uh, uh, anybody live in Ocean Lakes? Anybody live in Ocean Lakes? There we go. Ocean Lakes! Whoop, whoop. Right there at Da Vinci and Bold Ruler. Right there where the curve goes around where there's a pile of traffic when kids are coming out of school, high school. They're all lined up. There have been several accidents right there. I was in one of them a couple years ago. Just really hard to see around that corner. And there are trees and bushes and there's a big old green box. And, and, you're, and sometimes people come out of that one intersection just shoot down the road. So, you know, my wife is... Uh, uh, my wife is great. She, I call her Goose. She's my wingman. She sits right there. She says, okay, let's go. Okay. And in fact, she speaks a little Japanese. Okay, my way. That's what she says. Okay, my way. Okay, my way. Until she says, okay, my way, I am not making my turn there. I'm waiting on her to say, okay, my way. Okay, my way. Okay, my way. <laughs> then there's this, this Westminster. Anybody live? In, where's my Emerald Point family? Where's the Emerald Point family? Okay. Now, be careful right here at Westminster coming off of Regency Drive. Be careful there because I, I, I pulled one Sunday night late after it, it was rainy out there. And uh, a sister that I, that I knew who had attended the church, she was standing on the side of the road with her umbrella. Her car was wrecked because as she was coming straight down the road, somebody turned left and, and hit her, you know, because the bushes get a little bit high down here. That's so why we like to have traffic people work in this intersection right here. Because sometimes you can't see what's coming down the road. So I'm standing out there with the umbrella while the police are writing tickets up. And, and while we're standing there just about finished, it happens a second time. Another car is coming straight down the road. Didn't see him. The other person ran into him. One of them jumped out of the car screaming and cussing at the other individuals. The police is trying to write tickets here and trying to control these people over here at the same time. What I'm saying is there are a lot of dangerous intersections in our life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We, listen, I need some people in this house to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, you know, pastor, what about me? You don't know what being a neighbor is. Who was the neighbor? And I'm looking at the word of God and one of, the, one of the concepts we have in the Word of God, in order to understand specifically word studies, is look at the law first mentioned, and that is look where words such as this appeared early in the Bible. And here's a great place, the word neighbor. You don't see it. I'd never seen it. It's Exodus 25 and 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. I don't see the word neighbor anywhere there. Do you see it? But the word dwell there is the same word that would be used as neighbor. Let me dwell, build me a sanctuary that I might dwell, that I might position myself right with all the... Anybody ever heard the story of Israel? They come out of Egypt and they're, they're just upset with God. They try to build an idol out there in the middle of the wilderness. They, Jesus, the, the Lord provides manna from heaven. They eat every day and they get... We are sick and tired. God have eaten all this manna. God sends them quail until they get sick of it. I mean, all kinds of things that they're upset about, they're irritated about, but, but God had positioned his presence right there in the middle. And you say, well, that's what I need. We need God. Come right down here in the middle of Ocean Lakes, right, right down here in the, right down here in the middle of Kempsville, right over here in the hilltop. And I want you to know that God has done that. That's who you are. 
You are God's dwelling place and he positioned you where you are in order that when you see somebody busted up and broken up on the side of the road, you can go and pour oil and wine and embrace them and set them free. That's what we're positioned for. That's why the presence of God is in our life. The story is such a mess. And you're such a mess. Ministry is such a mess. I'm such a mess. Somebody said, we're a mess. Somebody shout, we're a mess. And I said, you get, change, get your expectations. Change them. I expect every time you come here that I'm going to see messy people. I'm going to see people with messy families. And I'm going to see children making messes. And I feel better now. It's messy, and we just keep cleaning up one another's mess. Amen. Why don't they get themselves under control? Why were you out of control all those years? Why don't they just surrender their lives to Jesus? Why did it take you so long? Come on, anybody preaching with me? Story is a mess. You've got to be aware of those that are in your path. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will give you a holy awareness. You then, by the Holy Spirit, will end up taking risks that you would not have taken before. Anybody ever walked up to somebody and talked to them and you did not know their name? It's like, you don't want to get in other people's business. I mean, if you stand there and start helping this guy on the side of the road that's been beat up, those bad guys might show up and beat you up too. I said, sometimes you need to take a risk. Here's one. Can I pray for you? Say it. Try it. Can I pray for you? Watch this. Check in with somebody. Are you okay? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Listen carefully to the Holy Spirit. Say it. Listen carefully to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be filled with His Spirit and learn to listen carefully to Him. And remember this, you are God's plan to invade this world with his love and power. Amen. God, you, you, some people say, I know God's got a plan. He's going to come and move in this community. God's going to shake our nation and give us a revival. Yeah, you know how he's going to do that? Through you. Amen. People keep saying, when is God going to start healing people? When are you going to start praying for people? Amen. What? Amen. <laughs> right? When, when is God going to change people? You know, there are people that are so broken. When are you going to give your testimony of God's power and deliverance? When are you going to say, God did this for me? He can do it for you. You know when? When you are stirred up by the Holy Spirit, we're going to see people set free. Anybody ready to win your neighborhood? Shout amen. Everybody stand up. Let's give praise to the Lord Jesus. Where are the people in this room that are all messed up right now? Where are the people that are just really struggling and you're just messed up? Nobody? Fakers. It's tough. Come on, where are the people that are just messed up? You could really use somebody to talk to and pray with you. Where are you? Where are you? You know I'm going to ask you to come down here. You know? Just come down here and stand with me. Come down here and stand with me. We don't want messed up people. People that are struggling. Listen, I'm going to say a few things. People that are struggling with offense. People that are struggling in, just in life generally. Feeling like you're just a failure. Where are you? Come on down. Come on down. 
You don't get to hide. You don't get to hide. Come on down. Come on down. Where are you? Where are those? I'm not getting, look, I'm not going to shove you or slap you or anything. How many know me better than that? I don't know. I might slap people today. I'm feeling, can't take, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. Where are the people? Where are the people that are struggling? Where are the people life has just been a mess? And uh, you relate mostly to the guy on the side of the road of all of the characters. You don't relate to the priest. You don't relate so much to the, to the Levite. Definitely not to the expert in the law. Don't relate so much to the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you're good, but it's just a struggle. Mostly beaten, bruised. It's almost like life left you for dead. All right? I'm going to wait just for a minute. Keep playing. Come, Holy Spirit. All right, just lift, would you lift your hands around the room, around the room, just lift your hands. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just rest upon this community. Rest upon this community. We pray, Lord, that these folks would become dwelling places. They would become dwelling places. Houses. Houses of your spirit. Temples. Holy temples. Bathed, washed by your blood and filled with your spirit. You need to say this. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me. Say it. Fill me with your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm available to you. I'm available to you. Are you available? You available? I got broken people sitting up, standing up here in the front who were who really struggling. They're not even sure they want to talk to you. They may not like you. Oh, well, is there anybody that could take what God has done in your life and allow the Holy Spirit to use you to minister to other people? I'm really kind of open this up. It's a little scary, I know, for some people, but I need some friends. I need, come on, just come up here and stand behind them. Come on, those of you, some of you have been through it. The Holy Spirit might lead you to specific individuals. I have folks all the way down here, too. Wait, there's already one person there. Really? Gang up. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, altar workers, but yes, others as well. Others as well. Jesus. Now watch. Somebody say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Say it again, welcome, Holy Spirit. Say it again, welcome, Holy Spirit. Now watch this, watch this. All of the people that are in need do not come to the front of the building. They're usually sitting in your neighborhood. Here's another metaphor. Your row in church, next to you, behind you, around you. Don't, they're not ready necessarily to share their stuff, but you're sitting next to them. They're, somebody is standing in front of you right now, standing beside you, and their struggle is great, and they need help, and they need prayer. You might say, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I lean over to the person nearby me and say, hey, is there anything I can, could we pray? Anything going on in your life you want to talk about? And then you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and pray for them? What if they look at you and say, no, would you just leave me alone? At least you'll know where they are. 
But what if five people in the house say yes? I didn't come up front, but I could sure use some love. I could sure use some prayer. And I come to church all the time, but I don't know 90% of the people's names, and I sure could use a brother or a sister. What if that happened? What if you can minister to one another? Are you ready? There's two things that are going to happen. We're going to continue to play music. We're going to minister to these people in this altar. And this is what you're going to do for one another. You're going to talk with one another, pray for one another, minister to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. After you finish your prayer time, you can be dismissed. If you're new, please meet us in the Welcome Center. God bless you all. Spend time, minister to one another.